So there's a pastor who is preaching on uh, forgiving your enemies. And during his message, he asked the question of everybody. How many of you have forgiven your enemies? And about half the people put their hand up. So he kept preaching, kept preaching. And everyone was starting to get a little bit hungry. And so the next time he asked the question, about 80% of the people put their hand up. So he kept preaching and he kept preaching. Until finally, they're all just hanging out for lunch. They just want to, they, they've just had enough. So he asked the question, everybody but one person puts their hand up just to shut him up. And so he looks up the back and he sees Mavis sitting there, 92-year-old Mavis, hasn't put her hand up. And so he says, Mavis, have you not forgiven your enemies? And she said, I don't have any enemies. And so he says, wow, everybody, this is phenomenal. Mavis, why don't you come down and share? She's taken this to the next level. Come and share your experience with us. Come and tell us the, the, the secret, the, the, the reason why. Come and, come and share. And Mavis hobbled her way down the stairs and wandered to the front and, and came and stood into the microphone. He said, tell us the pearls of wisdom about why you don't have any enemies. And she just said, I just outlived the old hags. I've got to say, as a pastor, when you're giving a message, there is always a tension. There is always a challenge because when you stand up here and you share something that's on God's heart, you always know what you're sharing is actually bigger and better than you and your experiences and what you're modeling and what you're living. It's always grander than you and you feel inadequate to represent something that you don't actually reflect as perfectly as it should be. But on the flip side, you also see a lot of brokenness as a pastor. You see a lot of stuff that that people's choices and patterns and thoughts and, and actions, and you know God's given you some of the answers, some of the keys that can help people in their circumstances. And so you're torn between these two things when you stand up here and share. Between your inadequacy, but the desperate need of people to know the truth of God, to be free from burdens and to be just have some hope and, and light in their lives. Now we've had five cracking messages in the last five weeks. I'm not saying the ones before that were terrible. But I just want to focus on the last five weeks. And I'm talking about how entertaining they were. But I believe that the last five weeks, God actually communicated through servants that stopped and prayed and waited on the Lord. Can you remember who preached last week? Nathan preached? Yep. Preached up a storm. It was awesome. Do you remember what he preached on? Moses. Brilliant. Fear. Fantastic. What about the week before? Rachel preached. This is good. What did Rachel preach on? Esther. Now, the people who preach can't, can't answer this question, by the way. They got a head start. I'm just saying because we're going to get a little bit further back. On Esther, and what was Esther? What was, what was the message in Esther? You have a voice. Use the voice God's given you. The week before that, Pete. Very good. What did Pete preach on? On Ruth? It's getting harder now, isn't it? We're only three weeks ago. This is good, Kel, on the ball. You're ruining my, my, uh, where I'm going with this. You're meant to be forgetting by now. 
But keep going, it's good. It was a good message. That's what I'm saying. They were crackers. They were all crackers and God shared in all of them. What, what did um, Pete talk on? Ruth. Ooh, now we're getting hard. Three weeks ago. Identity. Redemption for a purpose. Yeah? Going to a hostile land. Yep, yep. Four weeks ago. Who preached four weeks ago? Mal preached. Yes. What was, what was the, 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 to give you a clue, we, we've just finished a series of per, um, people of purpose. So that the clue is there was a person in there somewhere. Now, Mel um, messed with us all a little bit because she, she used a fictional person, which was really cool. Do you remember who it was? Prodigal son. And what was, what was the theme? What did she draw out of that? Spaghetti. Yes. You always remember the analogy, don't you? The symptoms of a son. Yeah. And five weeks ago, who preached five weeks ago? Oh, too far. Memory bank's full. Oh, that. Nathan wasn't in the country five weeks ago. <laughs> We've forgotten. It must have been me. It was me five year- weeks ago. And it was Stephen. <laughs> Priest of Mount Millennials, I did. I spoke on Stephen five weeks ago. <laughs> You'll get it eventually, Jim. Now, the thing is, we, we actually were joking about this at Activate Group on Thursday night. The idea that we actually don't remember much of the messages that get spoken. And, and that there's the ratio of messages to, that we've heard versus the things that we've remembered is pretty low. Um, I imagine, just looking around the room, not judging ages of people, that people have heard 30 years of messages, I don't know, 40 to 50 messages a year. Oh, that's a few messages. Um, some of you have got a bit of an exemption, you know, haven't been around for 30 years, so... You've, uh, you've got a bit of a head start. But we have this sort of filtering picture. The preacher gets a whole bunch of stuff from the Lord. Spends their weeks praying and reading the word and delving into it. And they filter that down the 30 minutes. And then from the 30 minutes, we walk away with spaghetti. That's what we remember. And two weeks later... I'm like, who was speaking? What was that about? And it's not just preaching that that happens. It's when we read the words, it's when we pray, even prophetic words. Often we'll receive something and at the time we go, wow, that's really significant. And yet two weeks later it's gone. My question to you this morning is in life, are you restless? Are you unsettled? Are you unsatisfied? Are you ever frustrated? Anyone in that camp? Okay. Because I've got the answers for that this morning, but I don't want to waste my time. Because I, I can tell you 100% what the answer is, and yet the fact that we're still all frustrated means that we maybe haven't got the answer or aren't doing stuff about it. So I want this morning for us to agree not to waste our time, not to just listen to fluffy stuff, and to feel good about it and walk away and go, that was a nice morning. But to actually say, let's do something about it. Because there's a whole heap of things that we try to do about being frustrated and unsatisfied and restless. We look at relationships. We think relationships are the answer. If only I had a girlfriend, everything will be fine. If only 
I was married to the right husband. Everything will be fine. If only my husband behaved himself, everything would be fine. Sometimes we, we look at doing the right thing. If only I was more obedient to God. If only I did the right things. Then I would not be restless. I would be satisfied. Friends. If my Facebook page just had five more friends, life will just be complete. If my friends were faithful, I'd be just less anxious. Things would be together. Holidays. If only I can get to Bali. <laughs> Sorry, not having to dig at anyone that's going to Bali soon. What about my appearance? If I lost 10 kilograms, I'd feel much better about myself. I'd be much more satisfied with life if I just lost that 10 kgs. Food. I just need Maccas. Coffee, chocolate. What's the phrase? Snickers satisfies. That must be the answer. Downtime, I just need some kid-free, agenda-free, expectation-free time. That'll be like heaven to me. Drugs, legal ones and illegal ones. I just need a beer. If I had a beer, I'd be satisfied. Pornography and sex. I just need a release and I will be fine. Now we look at all these things and, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. When I talk about these things, these are not foreign things and these are not things that you look back at your past and you talk about. They're things that happened this week. Not all of them to all of us, but you know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about these things. They are not foreign. And in fact, we feel a little bit stupid when we talk about these things because we keep doing the same things and we still don't feel satisfied. We keep seeking the same results. We keep seeking satisfaction. We try and test these different things. And we look for a different one. And yet the results don't change. We don't experience satisfaction. So what is the answer to our satisfaction? If we're all in this room and we haven't solved the answer to satisfaction, then there's some things for us to learn. And the answer is actually very clear, very direct, and it's found in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is not just preaching to his disciples, he's preaching to the crowds. He has something to say to everyone that wants to listen. And in verse 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for, righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The answer's right there. If you want to be satisfied, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, it's really interesting. Let's just be clear on what righteousness is to start with. Because sometimes we can have our own perspective, but righteousness I would like to describe simply as reflecting God. Reflecting God. God is what righteousness is. So righteousness is showing mercy to other people like God shows mercy to us. Righteousness is being pure in heart like God is pure in heart. It's making an effort for peace, initiating like God initiates. But do you notice that the verse doesn't say be righteous? It doesn't say the more righteous you are, the more satisfied you are. 
it actually phrases it really carefully. And this is, I think, where we get messed up. Because I think one of the things we seek satisfaction in is being righteous. And it doesn't actually say to be righteous. It says to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Which is very different. Because hunger and thirsting is craving something. Is looking for it. Is asking for it. Is, is hunting for it. Not just doing it. And why would it be so important to crave and thirst after righteousness and not just do righteousness? It's so important to crave and thirst for it because it's a righteousness that we can't produce. We can't feed ourselves righteousness. And if you want to know about, um, about the exact same picture, because you know Tan would always say, you can't just take one verse. You want to have, you want to have context. You want to make sure that when you're preaching on something or when you're talking about something, you actually know that it's a theme, not just a one-off verse that's taken out of context. So let's go to John chapter 4. Again, for some of you, this will be familiar. And we're going to read from verse 13. So Jesus bumps into this, this woman at the well, a Sumerian woman. Um, I'm not going to go into the, uh, the story. But in verse 13, Jesus says to this woman, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. He's talking about the same thing. Something that Jesus is offering that she can't get on her own, but he's prepared to give her. And it will quench her thirst. We really struggle with this idea. And we, we skirt around and we, we wander off. And the reason why I started by talking about um, the, the idea that we struggle to even remember messages is because the irony is that's the problem. Hunger and thirsting after righteousness is actually posturing ourselves to receive from God, to understand what he's saying, to, to want more of God, to want more of what his plan is, more of what his purpose is. And yet it's the one thing we struggle with is remembering what God's saying. We'll spend our weeks consumed by, you know, what Christmas present do I get for Arnie Betty? We'll spend our weeks consumed with the challenges that we have in our workplace with the exams that we've got at school. There's so many things that can consume us. But the one thing that will satisfy, the one thing that will, that will make life valuable is being consumed by what God's doing and by God's agenda. And time and time again in Scripture, we see this theme come out. Matthew 6.33, favourite verse of mine. Seek first. Remember? Seek, look for, hunt after, desire pursue seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and what happens as a result of that all this other stuff you're stressed about will follow dan and i were talking the other day just how blessed we are as a family and i'm not saying this to be proud but I can tell you, when I seek, when we seek as a couple, when we seek as a family the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
Two things happen. The things we thought were important aren't important anymore, so they're not a problem. And the other things God provides. I'm not saying we always get it right, but I can tell you, I can guarantee you 100%, when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the other things happen. Time and time again, we're reminded that it's the perspective, the lens, the, the way we look at life. It's not working harder because this is a gift. God's righteousness is something that we're blessed with. It's seeking it. It's desiring it. It's focusing on it. And so often I watch people's lives struggling and they're asking the wrong questions. They want a quick fix, a fake fix. They want a holiday. They want, they want some time out. They, they want something to solve their discomfort, their, their lack of satisfaction. And yet they're not looking through the lens that is the one lens to which to th- through which you look to get satisfaction. Everywhere else, you know, I know, it's fleeting. And most of the time the lows are worse than the highs. Except when you seek first the kingdom. Except when you hunger and thirst after righteousness. You will be satisfied. Way back in Moses' time, there was a whole nation who were in the desert looking for satisfaction. And in that space, God gave them the law. And what he said to them in that space was, I've given you these commands for your good. Tie them to your wrists. Have them hanging from your foreheads. Write them on your doorposts. When you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed, teach them to your children diligently. Why? Because he's a taskmaster who who wants everyone just to remember what he said? No, because it's through the lens through which satisfaction exists. He didn't say that stuff to make life hard for them. He said that because you're about to go into the promised land, a land you didn't deserve, you didn't earn, that I've given to you. And when you get there, if you look through that land with the wrong lens, you will not be satisfied. You know how the story ends? They didn't follow. They didn't hunger and thirst after righteousness. And they went completely wayward, worshipping idols and all sorts of stuff, and they were not satisfied. We can come here week after week, but my challenge is, if we want to reflect something worth value to the world, satisfaction is a language the world talks, and we actually have the answer. We have the one answer to what satisfaction looks like. And I think there's five questions that people who hunger and thirst after righteousness ask. They're not the only five questions, but they're just five things that I think would be good for us to think about, to ask ourselves. The first one is, Jesus, you say you're the way, the truth and the life. What is the truth here? 
What is the truth? Because I can tell you a lot of the time, we're actually trapped in a half-truth, which is a lie. We believe things like, I'm not valuable or precious. It's just a straight lie. But someone told me that. They were lying to you as well. So God, what is the truth here? The second thing is, God, you say to hold on to things lightly of, of, of this world. What should I hold on to and what should I let go of? What should I pick up and what should I put down? I think that's a really good question. It's a question about value. What is valuable to you, God, right now? What am I holding on to that I shouldn't be holding on to? What am I not holding on to that I should be holding on to? It's a question of value. Third question is, God, you have a good, pleasing and perfect will. What is the next step? What is the next step? It's fascinating because in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 11, it says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has, plant, he has planted eternity in the human heart. Right? So we've got, Peter refers to it as the divine nature. There's something eternal that's been planted in us. We're not made for the moment. We get that we're part of an eternal picture. But then Ecclesiastes goes on to say, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So he's given us this picture of eternity, but not told us the whole plan. All right? There's a tension here. There's a natural tension. So asking God to tell you the whole plan, I'm guessing you're not going to handle it and you're going to struggle. Asking him what the next step is, I think that's a reasonable question to ask. It's a question of, of God's will, of his purpose. The fourth question is, God, how does this glorify you? Now, when we come, I think this is a really, really significant question because we come back to what the agenda is. We're not trying to work harder. We're trying to reflect him. Yeah? And if, if you think about the moon, the moon does not generate any light. It is just a rock floating around the earth. The only way it generates light is by reflecting the sun. And we can see how much it reflects by how much of the shadow the earth casts on it. So you get a little crescent moon when it's only reflecting a tiny bit of the sun and mostly it's in the shadow of the earth. And our lives are the same. We're not working harder and becoming better people. We're standing outside of the shadow of the earth and saying, I want to reflect you. You are the source of my light. You are the source of what makes anything good happen in me. So I want to stand in a place where I reflect you. Are you being glorified in what's going on here? Am I reflecting you? And the fifth question is, God, who should I share this journey with? It's a good question about community. Because God's really big on us doing things in community. And even Jesus, the Son of God, operated in community for his well-being and theirs. He had some really close friends that he disclosed the toughest parts of his life with. Five questions. And the reason they're questions and not actions is because in this space we're receiving righteousness. We're not producing righteousness. We hunger and thirst for it. And by hunger and thirsting, we're asking questions 
we're posturing ourselves in a way that says, God, we want to reflect you. We want satisfaction in life. And this is the amazing thing. We think satisfaction is selfish. And yet we were designed for satisfaction. It was actually part of God's design for us to be satisfied. The problem we've got is when we look for satisfaction outside of God, it is flawed. There is only satisfaction in Him. There's some really, really, really exciting stuff in this because everything about this is about the generosity and the abundance of God. When you are hungry or thirsty, Jesus satisfies you. Is, is that cool? Is that good? Is that something desirable? Is that something you want? Most people put their hand up and said that they were unsettled or frustrated or, or unsatisfied. There is an amazing answer to that question. And it's not your labor, it's a gift. But we've got to be asking the right questions and be looking at the right things. And so today I really would love for us to be asking ourselves those five questions. For starters, there may have been some things in the first list that I shared about other ways we look for satisfaction that really tugged at you and you went, oh, that's me. That's me now. That's me this week. I've got a confession to make and it's, it's, not a, it's not a deep confession. I don't know who provided the drinks for Light Up the Night. Appreciate it. Brilliant blessing. But my confession is that I'm a sugar addict. And I walked over craving a hit of sugar. And every single drink was diet. Every single one of them. And you know what? I actually got angry. Not at the person, but just at the, seriously? No sugar? I walked over here for some sugar and there's no sh I looked, I looked and I had to settle for some caffeine without sugar. Was it Pepsi Max or something? It was the closest I could get to a sugar hit. I didn't see the lollies. I would have grabbed them. I'm not saying this because I'm proud about it. It's a weakness, but it is a flaw. It's a place that I was looking for satisfaction. And you all know, I know, how long is that sugar rush going to last for? 20 minutes? And what am I going to do after 20 minutes? Have more. And then what's that going to create? More weight. And when my weight goes up, do you think I feel better about myself or worse? Better? Yeah? No. <laughs> and then I can't run around the basketball court as well and, you know... People, people uh, run circles around me and maybe I should stop playing. And what does that do for my weight? Adds more. It's a spiral of hopelessness. All started with me wanting to have a drink that someone blesses me with at light up the night. Now, it, it's, it's a, a little bit of a false picture, but it's a bit too close to reality. And we hunger and thirst after the wrong things and we wonder why we don't get the satisfaction we ask for. So first of all, is there an area that you or I need to repent of? Is there an area that we've looked for satisfaction that wasn't through the lens of Jesus? If it wasn't through the lens of Jesus, if it wasn't reflecting God's glory, is it something we need to say, God, I'm sorry. 
I look for satisfaction outside you. That's the first thing I want to do this morning. And the second thing I want to do is say, God, and, and there's a message coming up, it's not today, but there's a message coming up between the difference between remorse and repentance, right? A really important distinction. Remorse is saying, that sucked, I don't want to do that. Repentance is saying, that sucked, and I'm going to change. I'm going to turn the other way. And so I don't want us just to stop to say, you know, Matt, your sugar addiction is not good. I want to say, your sugar addiction is not good, and I want to do something different. And what I want to do, Lord, is hunger and thirst after your righteousness. Because you've told me, and I've experienced it, and I've heard testimonies of it, I want to actually hunger and thirst after your righteousness. I want to take what you say seriously. I can't guarantee that I'll live it out, but I'm actually going to take your word seriously and believe that your spirit's going to help me in that too. I want to take what you say seriously. I want to take your word as the truth. What were the five questions? The first one, truth. Are we listening to the truth? Am I listening to the truth, God? Tell me, am I, is this the truth? Second one, what is the value? What's valuable here? What am I holding on to? What am I letting go of? Third one, I can't remember myself. What's your will, God? What's your plan? What's the next step in this picture? The fourth one, are you being glorified? And the fifth one, who do you want me to journey this with? Now I've just journeyed my sugar addiction with a whole bunch of you. And so I'm not going to get away with that again, am I? You know that that's, and you say, hey, is that really going to satisfy? <laughs> and we both know the answer to that question. But in myself, I may not want to ask the question because I don't want to know the answer. But with you beside me, I believe God's model is that we do this in community so that it's, it's not something that uh, pulls us down but actually draws us up. So two parts. God, is there something I need to repent of here? And God, what does it look like? What questions do I need to ask you today in this area? So just spend a couple of moments. Close your eyes if you want. Don't if you want to. But just spend a couple of moments going, God, if I'm unsatisfied, I'm probably looking for satisfaction in the wrong places at times. I'm sorry for that, Lord. What is it you want me to ask? What is it you want me to focus on? You are such a generous God. You give such good gifts. You're merciful when we don't deserve it. You're loving when we turn our back on you. Lord, I thank you so much that what you model is not our works, Lord God, but our posture, what we're looking at what we focus on. Lord, I thank you so much that you have made a way forward to bring satisfaction to mankind. You delight in our satisfaction. And Lord, I thank you so much that when we pray, when we confess our sins and repent, that you are faithful. You forgive, you restore and you cheer us on into the things you have for us. 
And Lord, I thank you so much for your spirit that empowers and equips and reminds. I thank you so much that you haven't left us to hunger and thirst after something that's so laboursome. In fact, you say, if you're weary, come to me and I'll give you rest. Lord, I thank you so much that you are our provider. And Lord, I just thank you so much for the opportunity we have to see, to hear, to ask questions that only you can answer. That ultimately give the answer to the question of what does it, what is it that satisfies? Thank you that you are the answer to that. In Jesus' name, amen.